Welcome to the New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here, and welcome to the New Man Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I think some of you guys know. I'm sure I've mentioned it, but I, we batch record here, so um, I'm not actually in front of the mic every single day. Sorry to disappoint. Um, batch, batch recording is kind of where it's at, especially if you're doing a podcast uh, f- you know, four or five times a week. So, um, so I'm starting here on a new batch, and as I record this, I've officially been in Jamaica for a week now, and my goodness, it's just been um, incredible. We've had a, a great time. I've kind of hesitated with how much to share about Jamaica, because it's super cool, but obviously, you know, what I'm doing here is not really within the scope of the podcast, but I feel like everybody I've spoken to is like, dude, how's Jamaica? You know, I'm getting so many questions about it. So I know you guys are curious and I'm, you know, I, I think last week when I was recording, I, you know, I was in Jamaica and I was a little bit, you know, I don't know, I was just a bit more hesitant, I think, to, uh, to share about it. But I, after thinking about it and seeing how many people are interested, I'm realizing, okay, I can, I can talk about this a little bit. Um, but, you know, Jamaica has been really fun and I, I did record an episode, it's episode 120, explain why I moved to Jamaica and how tied in the move was to getting free of pornography and just living a life of freedom. So I highly recommend you listen to that. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of my personal story in there. And um, I think, you know, moving to Jamaica can look like this sort of like, um, I don't know, this thing that looks good on Instagram, you know, and it's like, this is the thing to do. It's, it's the cool thing. And, um, you know, it's COVID and everybody's moving and whatever. But uh, there's so much more at play uh, that has driven this decision in my life and many of the other risks that I've taken along the way that have, um, you know, that have really led to some good things. But I think if you don't understand sort of what's undergirding all of it, it just looks like I moved to a hot place for the winter because Canadian winters are cold and that's really not the case. Um, so Jamaica's been great and um, it's been fun connecting with uh, my in-laws who live here. Um, you know, seeing some of the sights, climbing waterfalls, spending time on the beach, uh, drinking Red Stripe, and uh, all that good stuff. It's been awesome. So, um, so having a super good time. And um, hey, if anybody wants to come down and visit, you just let me know. I'll make a nice little place for you. Um, I did want to mention one other thing before I get in. And that is that I'm going to be in Austin, Texas this week. So from October 7th to 11th, I'm in Austin, Texas, and I would love to meet up with you. So on October 8th, I'm doing a lunch for anybody who wants to make it. You don't have to live in Austin, Texas. You can fly in and join me for lunch. Or if you live somewhere else in Texas and you can drive there, that's cool too. Uh, but I'm going to do a lunch with um, some, I'm meeting up with some clients, and I wanted to open up to you as well. I know there's listeners, actually plenty of listeners in Texas so if any of you are interested in meeting me for lunch October 8th, um, that would just be really fun. And there's no charge. Um, we, we, we will definitely do something that's going to bring value to you uh, for the recovery journey. But it'll certainly be a little bit more casual getting to know each other and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, it's a great opportunity for you to network as well. I know some of my clients who are going to be joining me. They're phenomenal guys. And uh, really, uh, some of them are like rising leaders 
within the deep clean community and um, connecting with them. You know, if you're not a, a client of mine and you're not plugged in, um, connecting with them could be really valuable for you. You know, sometimes it's just nice to know there's other people in your area who are going after the same things and have similar values. So um, anyway, a little bit of a longer intro today, guys, forgive me. Uh, but I think that's everything. So that's Austin, Texas. That's happening October 8th. And if you want to know the details, uh, I should probably mention that as well. Uh, there is an email in an email address. Uh, I think it's podcast at satheasam.com or something like that. At Sam. Yeah, it's podcast at satheasam.com. It is in the show notes. Just write us in there to say, hey, I'm interested in the lunch in Austin. And my assistant or myself will forward you some details. What I want to talk about today is why do you is awful advice. Oh my gosh. Sometimes these, these subject matters I come up with, I'm, I try so hard to not get on my soapbox. And um, let's just say that this episode content is going to require some self-control. Um, I'm going to guess that, you know, in the past three to five years, you've heard somebody say something to the effect of, hey man, don't worry about it. Just do you. Do you. Yeah, that's fine. You, you know what? You guys do you and, you know, we'll link up later. Okay, you, that's what you believe? Yeah, I don't really see it that way, but hey, you know what? You do you. That's, if that's what makes you happy, that's cool. You know, the, the concept has been used in so many different contexts, and some of them are, I would say, pretty innocent, um, where it's, you know, just a preferential thing. It's like, oh, should I buy a blue shirt or a green shirt? Hey, man, you do you. I mean, that's not like terrible advice, but I think where I, I see this phrase kind of I don't know, popping up is around moral and ethical behavior. And we have somehow just resorted to this mantra of do you. Hey, just do you. The basic premise being that, you know, if that's your conviction, if that's your belief, if that's what you think is appropriate, then hey, that's good. That's really like good for you. I, I get where this has come from because I think we have probably made the mistake, especially in the Christian circles, of being so strong in our beliefs and so adamant that we have actually pushed away people because it's come across so strongly that it's like, look, you either do do it our way or no way at all. Like it's our way or the highway kind of thing. There, there's no concept of like um, explaining why you should do it this way and giving people a choice Often it's been quite coercive and forceful and really just incomplete. And I think this, this whole concept of do you is anchored in a concept called ethical relativism, which is the idea that there is no standard, but rather uh, people's ethics and morals uh, exist relative to those around them and the cultures that they are part of, whether it's ethnic culture, family culture, church culture, academic culture, social culture, etc., etc. So that's where the concept is. It's like, do you? You know, hey, if that works for you, that's great. Like, I'm not going to judge you and, you know, I'm cool with it. You just do you. It's that kind of idea anchored in this whole premise of ethical relativism. Now, the, um, the relevance of this com- conversation is for... Um, anything that has to do with morality. So, you know, uh, what I'm hearing now in certain Christian circles is that if you want to have sex before marriage, 
hey, that's okay, just do you. Make sure you love the person, you know, make sure that you're going to commit to them, um, but hey, you know, do you. I actually listened to somebody interview lately, and I, I forget her name, and I don't know if that I would mention it in this context, because I'm, um, I'm not really in agreement with her, and I, I don't really use this podcast to, to slander anybody. Um, but she, she was talking about how she grew up in, you know, really strong purity culture. And we did an episode on purity culture recently. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes here if you want to go back and uh, take a look at it. Um, and actually, we've done two now that I think about it because I interviewed um, Dan Martin from Pure Hope and we talked about it there as well. But, you know, purity culture, this woman grew up in purity culture and the messages were very strong, like don't have sex before marriage. Because, you know, you become like a dirty glass of water or whatever the analogy was if you have sex and, you know, you can never be cleansed fully again. And you go into marriage without your virginity and that's not God's design and et cetera, et cetera. So she has basically, you know, realized the error of purity culture. She still loves Jesus, but she doesn't really see what the fuss is about sex before marriage. So for her, she has slept around. Um, she's, again, she, she loves Jesus. She identifies as a Christian. But um, her interpretation of, I guess, scripture, and maybe there's a mixture of ethical relativism in there, is, hey, um, sleeping around should be okay. Now, her justification is that when she sleeps around, she is able to have guilt-free sex. So if she doesn't feel guilty about it, then what's the real problem? And this is, again, uh, this would be sort of like a subset of do you culture, right? Because here she is, it, she's basically kind of saying like, look, if I don't have a conviction about it, if I don't have any guilt about it, why can't I just do me? Like, what's the deal here? I feel good about it. So I'm just going to go ahead and do me. And the, this whole like thinking, honestly, the first time I heard it, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I, it was just... I had never heard anything like that before. And as I sort of did some more research, I realized that actually there's a whole movement of, um, you know, ex-evangelicals, um, you know, post-Christian kind of doctrine that is still like has a love for Jesus and a, an appreciation of the gospel. Yet there's some major distortions from traditional biblically based values. And in our context, what we're really interested in is the realm of sexuality, sex before marriage, porn, masturbation, all that kind of stuff. And it'd be interesting. Maybe one day we'll have to get somebody from this camp and, and have them on the podcast and just do a bit of an interview. Um, I'd, I'd be open to that maybe one day. But the reason I wanted to talk about it today is because I believe that do you is some of the worst advice you could ever give a person. I'm sure that's where you saw this was going anyway. I, I guess the reason is, um, is that do you negates any kind of moral standard? Now, there's a difference between the term I used earlier, ethical relativism and a moral standard. Ethical relativism has no standard. The standard is transient. It, the, the goalposts move depending on the climate of culture and society and the social environment. The goalposts can move on what is appropriate and what is not. So there's a very subjective human kind of component to ethical relativism where the, the ethics of the day are really dictated by man's opinion and man's choice. Moral standards are meant to be anchored in something 
that is unwavering. Humans are not unwavering. We change our minds. We develop. We evolve. We grow. You know, 45, 65, 75 years ago, people thought smoking was cool. It was the thing to do. Little did they know it caused cancer. So people don't smoke anymore. In fact, it is illegal in pretty much any public place you can be because it's bad for you. Humans made a mistake. They thought it was harmless. It turns out it was harmful. When your standards for ethics and morality are moving goalposts, you have lost your credibility. Imagine if a judge had that kind of power in the court of law. And, and if he kind of, you know, had a change of heart on a certain subject, he was able to rule differently based on the change of mind. We would never accept that because a judge is expected to rule according to a standard that is unwavering, and that is the law. Now, do laws change? Yes, they do. Does our interpretation of scripture change? I think it does. I think we become sharper and we become better versed in the precepts of scripture. So there, there, is, um, there is a variable factor there because the way we understand scripture today is not the way we understood scripture a year ago or 10 years ago or 100 years ago, 500 years ago. I mean, some of the greatest men of God we know of have only come around in the last few centuries. And so, the, but there were people before and they were reading scripture before, but they didn't maybe have some of the insights and some of the depth of knowledge that we possess today. That's another conversation for another day. But I guess the point I'm trying to make here is there is some variability. And I don't want to present this like, look, if, if the Bible just says this, it is what it is, that's it, period. Don't ask any more questions. Don't look to the left or to the right. Just take it for what it is and that's it. It's not quite like that either. We have to critically read the Bible. I don't mean critically like um, skeptically or resentfully. I mean we need to read it and really make sure that we are paying attention to the context, that we understand the intent of the author, and we understand um, the, the scope of the reader as well. Who is this intended for? And make sure that we are critically analyzing the scriptures so that when we read it, we understand it in its appropriate context and with its appropriate intent. And that is going to have some shape on how we view morality. But what I will say is that there are some things that are timeless. There are some things we have established and I can pretty much guarantee you they will not change in God's eyes. And that, of course, is what all of this boils down to. So, um, let me just, I just had 75 thoughts at once. Let me try to sift through this a little bit. The response for us is not to, uh, again, I hope you're at least getting my message a little bit. We don't want to get swept up in ethical relativism. Like, hey, if porn is, you know, if you can watch porn and it doesn't affect your marriage too much and you don't feel guilty about it, just go for it. Hey, if you can sleep around, um, you know, you don't feel guilty, just go for it. We are basically saying, no, 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 that, that is that's not it. That, that's not, I would never endorse that lifestyle. If you have that lifestyle, I still love you. Um, I will still support you. I will still help you get free of porn if that's what you want. Um, you know, those things don't hinder me from having a relationship with somebody or anything like that. 
But on as far as my convictions and my beliefs and my understanding of the Bible goes, those things don't fly. Instead, what we're looking for is a moral standard. A moral standard that is anchored in the Bible. Yeah, the B-I-B-L-E, that old text, 2,000 years plus we're talking here. That is what we are looking for because true moral standard will stand the test of time. Our application of it is going to change. As Paul Cole said, um, his interview is coming up here in I think a a week or a week and a half maybe. Paul Cole said that the message does not change, the methods do. And so that, that's going to happen. So let me, let me give you an example outside of kind of the sexual realm and then one within, just, just so we have a, a comprehensive understanding of what we're talking about here. Um, disciplining your kids, that's a biblical concept. The Bible is really clear that parents carry a responsibility to discipline their children. It is not a parent's responsibility to be friends with their kids. You can have good adult relationships later on, but even then, at that stage in life, you are still the parent. And there are responsibilities that come with it. There are elements that are meant to define and refine that relationship. And it does not involve being friends with them. Okay? The Bible is very clear that you are to discipline your children. 60 years ago, in many cultures, I believe even some North American cultures, uh, but certainly my parents in Indian culture, um, discipline looked like physical beating. Sometimes it was spanking. Sometimes they were getting you know whips on the wrists. Um, and sometimes this was happening in front of their class. Um, but th- th- this was kind of understood that if you misbehaved, you got a spanking. Now, I even got spanked a little bit as a kid. And personally, I think I'm better for it, but I'm not going to get into that today. The point is, spanking for most parents today is a distant thought. But the instruction to discipline your children is still the same. So the expression is different. The Bible never said that you are to spank your kids. Although some parents say, you know, you're not supposed to spare the rod. That's uh, a scripture in Proverbs. Again, I'm going to digress there. But the point here is the the concept of discipline, that's not going away anytime soon. But the way it appears might look different. The reason that giving the advice of do you is so terrible is because it, it negates the fact that there are moral standards in the Bible that have not changed. Nobody went and rewrote the scriptures. And those instructions were given to us for a reason. They were not meant to be restrictive or limiting. They were meant to be empowering. See, God, if if you don't understand the nature of God, then you cannot understand morality because morality feels like this um, set of restrictions and parameters that keep you confined to an enclosed space. It means you can't have fun, you can't have your freedom, and you can't live the good life. That, that is what morality is like apart from the loving nature of God. But when we understand that God loves us, it means that the precepts and the principles that are prescribed to us in Scripture come from a place of good intent. They, they are not restrictive. They are not meant to be confining or limiting. They have our best interests in mind. And so the standards of the Bible are are presented and framed with our best interest because because God knew 
that the best thing we could do is to have sex in the context of a covenant. God knew that the best thing for us would be if we didn't engage in any kind of sexual misbehavior because it would ultimately impact our patterns of sexuality in our marriages. He knew that it would impact the way we viewed women or people of the opposite sex. He knew that if we engaged in, in some of this, this um, I don't know, this kind of uh, dipping your toes in but not quite committing to a sexual misbehavior, he knew that even the slightest compromise was going to impact the way that we viewed ourselves and the way that we could show up in our relationships as a result. He always had our best interest in mind. Always. And let's not forget that arguably the greatest factor here in our pursuit of moral standards is our relationship with God himself. And he knew, him being a holy and perfect God, he knew that if we were to subscribe to to his doctrines, to his practices and principles and precepts, then he knew that that would be the best thing for us to relate with him as he is holy and he will not share his glory with another. So why is do you awful advice? Because do you negates all of that. Do you says it doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't matter if these are the principles. Do you says, well, what makes sense? What feels right? What is everybody else doing? And it does not work. Here's the problem. People who subscribe to ethical relativism will change. Their views will change before they die. Their views will change on whatever it is they have views on. It's going to change again and again and again. No, I don't know about you. That's not the person I want at the helm in a court case. I don't want somebody who's going to change their mind based on the climate of the day. We don't want those people making a judgment calls or decisions because they're unreliable. They're, they're, they're fleeting. You know, we just had an election here in Canada and, and I think um, people are fed up with our politicians here because they're, they don't do what they say they're going to do. And, and that's, that is the essence of ethical relativism is you could change your mind. It's why a scripture like Hebrews 13.8 is quoted so frequently that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore because that consistency is so important if we are going to submit our lives to him. He better be consistent because I'm not giving myself to somebody who changes their mind. But on the flip side, if somebody is consistent, they are worthy of our trust. They deserve it. The, the, the law is to be respected. Why? Because it, it, it bears, it plays no favoritism. It, it plays no favoritism, pardon me. It, it, it bears no regard for the person. And sure, there, there is a human component to it. I'm not denying that. The same way that there's a human component to our interpretation and understanding of Scripture. But the law, the, the law is concrete. We, we cannot change the law or warp the law or pick the laws that we want to live by. And the Bible is the same way. And any time that you tell somebody, hey, you know what, don't worry about it, just do you, you're essentially endorsing a lifestyle, a pattern of making decisions that negates the biblical standards and the intent of Scripture. So be very, very careful. Now, personally, I have basically eliminated do you from my vocabulary altogether. I, I don't even use it anymore because it, is, it has this connotation in my brain I don't like. 
And I believe that even saying it in small settings where it's like uh, the example I used earlier, you know, picking between the blue shirt or the green shirt, I still think like just there's got to be better ways to communicate this kind of stuff to people. So that is why I believe do you is awful advice. So in closing, if you have been saying do you a lot, I'm not going to judge you, okay? But what I am going to encourage you is to really think about how what you communicate, what you support, and what you endorse, how it represents your own stance. Because if you're saying do you in environments that are uh, morally inappropriate, you are not, um, you're not really defending your standard. And it, it calls into question the level of conviction you have about the standard itself. And I, I'm not doing this to, to condemn or to say shame on you for doing that. Um, look, I've made my, my share of mistakes in social environments where I was afraid of social rejection. And I, I probably did, you know, uh, just kind of accept some sort of ethical relativism in that name. And I, I'm remorseful over that. So if you've done it, it, it happens. But let this be a, just an encouragement for you to grow and, and to remind yourself that we cannot give in to the agenda of ethical relativism because it, it, it's going to corrupt and erode our moral fibers, the very fabric of our beings and the very essence of our relationship with a holy God. So that's everything for today. I try not to get on my soapbox, but I, I think I did. I hope you guys can forgive me a little bit. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just passionate about the subject. What can I say? Uh, final reminder, if you're going to be in Austin, Texas this weekend, let me know. I'm going to be there October 7th to 11th, and I'm having a lunch for anybody, or a meetup rather, for anybody who wants to meet up on October 8th. You can email me in the uh, email that's in the show notes. I'd love to see you. And if you are really looking to get more help on Game for Your Porn um, or any kind of sexual misbehavior, I highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. We're the only weekday program in the addiction recovery space. And I highly encourage you to get your hands on the Ultimate Guide to Recovery Freedom. You can get that at ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's going to give you my five best practices for recovery. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm cheering you on. Have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to The New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at Sam. Thanks again and see you next time.